And uh, so if you take your Bible and turn over there, and if you're able to stand, if you would join me in standing as we read this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we'll read down through verse 47. And uh, we're going to be going through the, this new series tonight, starting a brand new series called Marks of a Healthy Church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the Bible says this, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." And let's pray one more time together. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful day it's been so far in your house. Thank you for the good music. Thank you for these children getting up and uh, quoting your word. What a blessing that is. And uh, Lord, we do pray for these children, Lord, that they would uh, not only know the truth, but that they would walk in truth all the days of their life. Lord, that they would share the truth with their future children and Lord, with others around them as well. Um, But Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church tonight to take inventory on who we are. And uh, Lord, I pray that where changes need to be made, that we would all be willing to make them. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. may be seated. So tonight we begin an important series for our church. You see, we're going on a journey back in time to examine the early churches of the New Testament. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of these different assemblies in the Word of God. Each church was a different city with different cultures, and and we can learn much from studying these churches. Uh, What to do and what not to do. What to focus on and what not to focus on. Now, by way of introduction regarding the church, I want to remind us that it was Jesus Himself who instituted the church, who began the church way back in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16. Verse number 13, it says, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or of one of the prophets. And then he asked this very famous question, But whom say ye that I am? And really, that is the question for all of us as well, right? doesn't matter what everybody else thinks about the Lord. Who do you think I am? Well, Simon Peter answered and gave this very famous answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which was the correct answer, by the way. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it was there that Jesus instituted the church. It was Jesus also who gave himself for the church. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, 
to feed the church of God. He's speaking to pastors now. And he said, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So he gave his blood for the church. He gave himself for the church. According to Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And one day, Jesus is coming back for the church. I'm looking forward to that. And we heard a couple references from these young ones, from John chapter 14, verse number 3, that he is going to come and receive us unto himself. I'm looking forward to that day. So the church is important to Christ. And it obviously ought to be important to us as well. Now, unfortunately, we live in a day where every type of church exists, right? You, you see these buildings all around this community with the word church attached to it, and you wonder, is it really what Jesus had in mind way back in Matthew chapter number 16? Hmm. Uh, we see churches, uh, my wife mentioned, and, and, and if you know people who go here, I, you know, we're, we're not trying to be uber critical here tonight, but but there's a, there's a church that has a, a, a slogan that says, the flock that rocks. And, and it's, you know, you wonder, is this what Jesus had in mind? You know, why do we do what we do here at Cornerstone Baptist Church? Are, are the decisions and, and the stands that we have, are they based on preference? Are they based on culture? Like, what's popular? What is the church down the street doing? Therefore, we need to do it too. The keep up with the Joneses mentality, unfortunately, uh, enters the local church as well. Not just into families. Because we want to see what the big church down the street is doing so that we can be a big church too. Why do we do what we do? Are they based on tradition? Well, we have always done it that way. That's why we do what we do here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, or here at whatever church? Or are they based on biblical reasons? Or are they based on what unsaved Sam wants in a church? If you're not familiar with that, we, we spent uh, the bulk of our ministry thus far in our lives in California in the backyard of Saddleback Church. And there they, they had this business mentality where you get this uh, persona of a person that you're trying to reach and trying to figure out what he would want in a church. My friend, is this church, is, is church meant to be for the unsaved? Yes and no. Yes, it, I want this to be, I want Cornerstone Baptist Church to be a place where an unsaved person can feel loved and welcomed and valued. But I don't necessarily want them to always feel comfortable in their sin, in their condition as sinners. You see, I don't want to, want to survey all the unsaved crowd and say, what do you want in a church? And then cater our church to meet their needs. Because this church isn't for him. This church is for him. It's his church. He's the audience. So I thought during this series it would be helpful for us tonight and, and throughout this series to, to go back to how it all began. 
You know, the, there's, a, there's a principle in hermeneutics, which is Bible interpretation and, and study, called the principle of first mention. And, and typically in the Bible, when, something, when a concept is mentioned at the very beginning, that's the really intent that, that we need to gather from it, the intent of, of that first mention. And so as we look at this very first church tonight in the book of Acts, uh, we see some attributes and some characteristics that uh, we would be wise to adopt here at Cornerstone Baptist Church as well. I do believe this series is going to be helpful to kind of help us understand who we are as a church. And again, it's not any one person, it's not even me. On what our church, it's not up to me and it's not up to you. It's up to the Lord to determine what kind of church this is. So there are 10 priorities or more uh, listed here in this passage of Scripture that we just read, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. Um, I'm not going to take the time to go through all 10 of them tonight. Um, so we'll, we'll cover the first three tonight, and then next week we'll, we'll catch a few more, and then uh, hopefully we'll get this in like three messages, I hope. Um, but I think that this, this particular snapshot of this church is so important for us to focus on because this is back to the basics. This is back to what a church ought to be. It, should it be flashing lights and uh, amazing promotions and, and wonderful Facebook ads? Not that any of those are necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but what should a church really have and make sure that, that the basics of a church? Well, it's listed here in Acts chapter 2. Verses 41 through 47. So what are they tonight? Let's, let's, look at these, let's look at these first three. First of all, I want you to see um, there was a receptive heart to the Word of God. There was a receptive heart to the Word of God. In verse number 41, the Bible says this, Then they that... What's the next word? Gladly received His Word were baptized. Now I realize that his word is a reference to the message that Peter just preached. But the message that he just preached is recorded in the word of God. So you could say that they were very receptive to the word of God, to the preaching of God's word. And it wasn't just that they received it, but as I asked for that word, they gladly received the word. So they had a receptive heart to the Word of God. They wanted to hear what the Word of God said, and they were wanting to hear it. Now, a lot of Christians look at the Word of God like they do a buffet line. They take what they like and leave what they don't. Look, the Bible is not a smorgasbord to pick and choose what you like. The Bible is the Word of God, and all of it needs to be received. Paul declared to the Ephesian elders, he said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, the things that you like to hear and the things that you don't like to hear. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. Now, as a pastor, I have been given a calling to preach the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says, and here Paul is telling young Timothy, he said, I, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be in instant in season, 
out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. You see, I need to preach the word here at Cornerstone Baptist Church when it's popular. When it's popular outside these walls, when it's popular inside these walls, and when it's not popular outside of the walls, and when it's not popular inside the walls. I got to tell you, it's not easy to preach when it's not in season. <laughs> uh, brother, brother Ed, you probably know what I'm talking about. There's been times when everybody came up to you and appreciated what you had to say. There was other times when it was crickets or these locust things that are here. <laughs> um, and that's going to happen. I get that. And, and I'm thankful that Paul said that because those, those seasons ebb and flow just like winter comes and goes and spring comes and goes, summer comes and goes. There's going to be times where people are going to say, Pastor, that was a great message that spoke to my heart. Other times it's going to be, I'm going to go out the other door than where the pastor is because I don't want to see his face anymore. I understand those days are going to happen. I am making a commitment publicly this evening that I will faithfully preach the Word of God. There are times when it's fun to preach and I get pumped about the message and I can't wait to declare it. I can't wait to get up and preach. And there's times when it's like, please, Lord, can I preach something totally different? Because this is the opposite of what I want to preach tonight. But if it's in his word, I need to be faithful to him. And so I'm making a commitment to you and more importantly to God to faithfully preach the word of God. Paul goes on in that passage to say, for the time will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. I saw a little comic that uh, came across my, my eyes uh, this week, and I'm going to throw it on the screen here. It's a little hard to see, especially if you're in the back there. But there's one church on the left here that they have a sermon series, and it's what God has said. There's another, there's another church across the way that they have a sermon series too, and it says, what you would rather hear. And you can tell there's a lot of truth to that, though, in our culture. Because we want to go to the Joel Osteen type of churches because I want to be my better version of me. Your best life now, instead of, thus saith the Lord. Uh, to go to a church that still uses old-fashioned words like sin and hell? No thanks. I want to go to a church that tickles my ears. And so no wonder they have these huge stadiums filled up to the brim with people because they have these itching ears. And so they're seeking these teachers which scratch their ears. And the church here in this first church, I thought about naming this First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, but I don't know if they actually had that name, so we'll just, uh, the First Church is the name of the, ti the title of the message, but um, the problem with many so-called churches is not really what's being preached, it's what's not being preached in a lot of churches, right? You go to a service at most churches and you're like, yeah, there's really nothing wrong with what I heard. But you go a year, two years, and you're like, hey, you know, I've never heard anything about this topic. 
or about this topic. They seem to be avoiding that topic. Uh, many churches are no longer preaching on topics like sin, hell, or judgment. These have gone the way of the old, stale tapioca pudding on the buffet line. As a result, we just kind of skip over them. And we say, no thanks, that's not real, really appetizing to me anymore. I'm going to skip it. You know, if we're not careful, those of us who've been saved for a while can also develop a spiritual sweet tooth as well. We like the exciting stories of the Bible. We like to hear about the tribulation period. We like to hear about, you know, all those fun stories in the book of Judges. We just read as a family when Jael took that, that, that tent spike and, and killed Sisera. How wonderful of a story that was to have at our family devotion. <laughs> family Bible time. The boys were all into it, and Faith is like, what did she, what, what did she do? Huh? Ah. We like to hear those exciting stories, right? But what about things like judgment? Not so fun. But God help us to have a receptivity to the Word of God, the things that we like to hear and the things that we don't like to hear, may we also gladly receive the word of God here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. James 1.21 says this, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. God wants us to receive with meekness the engrafted word. Are you receiving the word of God gladly? Well, sure, as long as it's about someone else. As long as it's about someone else's sin, then I'll gladly receive the word. What about when it hits you right between the heart? Right between the numbers, to give a football reference on the Super Bowl Sunday. When the word of God is boom, right to you. Do you catch the ball? Or do you fumble it and say, you know what? Uh... No, that was, that was too hard of a pass. These early Christians there in this first church, they had a receptive heart to the Word of God. And I would hope that we here at Cornerstone Baptist Church have a receptive heart to the Word of God that if, if God's Word says it, I want to receive it. Now, we're talking to the church family, yes, but the church is made up of individuals. And if this is going to work as a church family, it's, going to work as, it's only going to work if we as individuals receive the word of God gladly. So I know you might be thinking, yeah, preacher, let him have it. Oh, I'm preaching to you, and I'm preaching to me. Am I willing to receive the word of God with meekness, gladly, having a receptive heart to the Word of God. That was characteristic number one, a receptive heart to the Word of God. And Lord, help us here at Cornerstone to have that attribute in us, that we would gladly receive the Word of God when it's preached. Whether we like it, whether we don't, we're going to gladly receive it. Secondly, a willingness to obey God. They had a willingness to obey God. Look again in verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his word, next two words, were baptized. 
So after they accepted Christ as their Savior, after they believed on Him for salvation and gladly received the Word, they were immediately baptized. It didn't take a long process for them to decide to obey God. It was an immediate response. It was a natural reflex for them to say, Lord, what's the next step? I'll do it. You know, the next steps for these new believers was baptism, to publicly identify, publicly identify with Jesus Christ in water baptism. Now, can I just say this? This wasn't a decision like it would be for most Americans in 2019. You see, getting baptized was a radical, life-altering decision that would impact their relationship with their family and would potentially cost them their job, their career. To publicly identify with Jesus Christ in water baptism. This was a big deal. And much more on on the line than today. And yet, despite all that, they did it and they obeyed. You see, in the early church, there was a natural desire to obey what God said. You didn't have to twist people's arms. It wasn't like you had to, you know, promise all this stuff. If they would just simply obey, it was just, hey, what does God want? I want to do it. What about you? Are there things in your life that God wants, God wants you to obey? Keep your uh, finger here or put a marker in Acts chapter 2 and uh, flip with me over to 1 Samuel 15. We were over in 1 Samuel this morning, but we're going to go back over there again to chapter 15. Oh, I'm creeping up on 6 o'clock. Okay. I'm going to hurry. 1 Samuel 15, verse number 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. And now listen to really God's instruction. God gives some orders to King Saul here in verse number three. It's very clear. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man, woman, infant and suckling, ox, sheep, camel and ass. So all of these things he's supposed to utterly destroy. Very clear instructions. It wasn't like, okay, what did you really mean? <laughs> I really meant what I said. Well, verse number four, here's what Saul decided to do. Saul gathered the people together, numbered them uh, there, and 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to a city of Amalek, laid in wait in the valley. And then he goes on down, verse number six. Uh, let's go ahead and verse, jump down to verse seven for sake of time. Saul smote the Amalekites from uh, that place until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. Clearly against what God had given orders to do. It goes and says, but everything that was vile and refuge, well, then that they destroyed utterly. 
Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, Oh, I made a mistake, and, and the Lord doesn't make mistakes. But he said, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. When it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. It was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up in a place, gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, said, and, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Oh, really? You are bragging about how well you obeyed God? Huh. And verse 14 is a very interesting verse, isn't it? Samuel said, interesting you say that. He said, what meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? He said, you've obeyed the voice of the Lord, really? You, you hear that? You hear the sheep over there and the cattle? Huh. Because I clearly remember the word of the Lord saying, you are to utterly destroy everything. And obviously, you kept the best for yourself. Well, Saul has a great justification, doesn't he? Verses, verse 15, Saul said, They have brought them up from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Oh, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. He said, Well, we obeyed mostly. But the reason we didn't is because we wanted to honor the Lord. And then verse 16. Samuel said to Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said, Say on. Verse 17. Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own, eye, in, in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalekite, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So he's still not realizing that he is disobedient. He said, But the people took of the spoil... Sheep, oxen, chief of things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee, from being king. Saul mostly obeyed God. Are you content to mostly obey God? And he failed to fully obey the Lord and he lost his throne because of it. Can I ask you this question? What blessings are you forgoing or losing because you're not willing to submit to him? Can I remind us this evening, Cornerstone Baptist Church, that blessing follows obedience. When you obey, God blesses. When you don't, God can't bless as much as He wants to. So in what areas is God asking you to obey Him in? Does God want you to be saved? 
Oh, you're missing the greatest blessing of all, knowing your sins are forgiven and that you have a home in heaven if you never come to Christ. So the first area that God wants us to obey Him in is believe on Him for salvation. Come to Him and be saved. Or maybe you've been saved and not yet baptized. Maybe God's been working in your heart and saying, you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I would just say this. After the service tonight, feel free to come to me and let me know that you would like to get baptized. We'll schedule a time for you to follow the Lord in baptism uh, at one of our future services here. Uh, maybe it's something that you're holding on to that God's saying you need to surrender. Maybe you've been holding on to something that you know is wrong and you've not been willing to let it go. Sur- surrender whatever that is today. It could be that God wants you to serve Him in some special way. So please don't wait. Obey Him today and get involved. Let me know. We'll get you plugged into a ministry. Do you, do you remember what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, help us to have a heart here at Cornerstone Baptist Church that also says, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I want to be obedient to you, not mostly. Not like Saul who does most of it. Help us to do all of it. Peter Forsyth was right when he said the first duty... Of every soul is to not find its freedom, but its master. You're going to obey someone. It might as well be the Lord. At our house, we have a saying when it comes to obedience. Obedience is three things. You obey right away, the first time, with a... With a what? Good attitude. Okay, they don't know it. We need to work on this a little better. Right away, the first time, and with a good attitude. And if one of those is missing, it's disobedience. Now, instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is, in fact, disobedience. So, if God is impressing upon your heart something that you need to obey Him in, to wait another week, to wait another year, is really disobedience. So let's have a heart that says, I am willing to obey you just like the church did, just like the first church did of Jerusalem. When they got saved, it was like, what's next? Baptism? Amen. Yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your way. I've read that when Edward VI, the king of England in the 16th century, attended a worship service, he stood while the word of God was read. He took notes during this time and later studied them with great care. Through the week, he earnestly tried to apply them to his life. That's the kind of serious-minded response to truth the Apostle James calls for in in the Scripture. A single revealed fact cherished in the heart and acted upon is more vital to our growth than a head filled with lofty ideas about God. One step forward in obedience is worth years of study about it. Yes, in the morning services, we're going to be studying about God and who He is and His attributes. But it's not just to be tucked away and and just be chalked up as just mere knowledge. The idea is that it would be used in our life in in action. 
Let's move on to the last thought here, the last characteristic of this early church that we're going to mention tonight, and that is a commitment to doctrine. They had a commitment to doctrine. In verse number 42, in Acts chapter 2, back in our text, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in this. This was something they were committed to. They wanted to learn. They wanted to grow in this, and they were steadfast in it. They were faithful. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 says then that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. You know, it's important for all of us, but especially our children to grow up here at Cornerstone Baptist Church to know what we believe, but also why we believe it. And that's what doctrine is all about. And that's why one of the reasons I'm excited about this new curriculum we, we just received. And, and I'm thankful for the other curriculum we use as well. But this is doctrinal truth that we're instilling into our children to know what we believe and why we believe it. So that when they graduate, they're not going to be tossed to and fro. They're not going to be just like the, the dandelion thing that you go, and all those things just kind of fly wherever the wind takes it. I don't want that to be our kids. I want them to be firmly planted in the Word of God. And whether they end up here or somewhere else, that they would stand true to the Word of God. A.W. Tozer said this, We have gotten accustomed to the blurred puffs of gray fog that pass for doctrine in churches and expect nothing better. From some previously unimpeachable sources are now coming vague statements consisting of a milky admixture of Scripture science and human sentiment that is true to none of its ingredients because each one works to cancel the others out. Little by little, Christians these days are being brainwashed. One evidence is that increasing numbers of them are becoming ashamed to be found unequivocally on the side of truth. They say they believe, but their beliefs have been so diluted as to be impossible of clear definition. Moral power has always accompanied definite beliefs. Great saints have always been dogmatic. We need a return to a gentle dogmaticism that smiles when it stands stubborn and firm on the word of God that lives and abides forever. That's good preaching there, Brother Tozer. Titus chapter chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Paul is telling Titus to do as he's trying to appoint pastors in the different cities there on the island of Crete. And he says, I want you to tell them to teach sound doctrine. And that's one of the things as a pastor that I need to express to you. I'm supposed to preach the word. And then it says, with all long suffering and doctrine. First Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. We mentioned this verse this morning, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. If they can't, if your children can't get doctrine here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, where can they get? Now they should be getting it home. Mom and dad, that's your responsibility. That's our responsibility to impart to them the truth of God's word. It's not just the church's responsibility. It's yours as a parent. But it's also our church's responsibility to make sure that this is a, the pillar and ground of truth for your children. So we've looked at the first three this evening. A willingness, uh, I'm sorry, a receptive heart to the Word of God, a willingness to obey God, and 
a commitment to doctrine. So, so far, how are we doing? How are we doing, Cornerstone Baptist Church? Do we have a receptive heart to the Word of God? Are we willing to obey God? Do we, uh, are we committed to doctrine? But better yet, and more personally, let me ask this question. Do you have a receptive heart to the Word of God? Or do you kind of buck and kind of say, Preacher, don't go there in your heart. And say, look, talk about something different. This is not a topic I want you to talk about. Are you willing to obey God? You say, well, yeah, I I obey Him mostly. And I give. Congratulations, Saul. I'm telling you, you're missing out on some blessings because you're not willing to obey God all the way. And are you committed to doctrine? Or do you think, this isn't that important, I really want the feel-good, touchy-feely, how-to-have-a-better-life-now type of a message. Now, occasionally we'll go there, but for the most part, we want to stay true to the Word of God. So how are we doing so far? Um, As far as I know, we're doing good, because I know you. But if you know in your own heart that there are some areas of improvement, I hope that you'll take the time tonight to make a decision, to make some changes, to line up with the first church, so that we as a, as a body of believers, we go forward this year and in future ministry, that we will be in a place where God can bless us. We'll mention this as we get to the end of this little passage of Scripture here, but verse 47 says this, at the end of that verse says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, I really believe that one of the reasons the Lord did this is because of the characteristics of this early church. Now, this church wasn't perfect. We're going to discover that as we continue on. Just a couple chapters later, we find some imperfections, some pretty stark examples of it. And so God's not expecting us to be perfect, but God's expecting us to have these qualities, not only in our church, but in our individual lives. And I hope that you'll do what it takes to implement these into your own life so that these can be evident in our church. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to discuss the first church tonight. And I'm looking forward to covering the other attributes of this first church. And uh, so if you take your Bible and turn over there, and if you're able to stand, if you would join me in standing as we read this passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. We'll read down through verse 47. And uh, we're going to be going through the this new series tonight, starting a brand new series called Marks of a Healthy Church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the Bible says this, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, we thank you for the 
wonderful day it's been so far in your house. Thank you for the good music. Thank you for these children getting up and uh, quoting your word. What a blessing that is. And uh, Lord, we do pray for these children, Lord, that they would uh, not only know the truth, but that they would walk in truth all the days of their life. And Lord, that they would share the truth with their future children and Lord, with others around them as well. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church tonight to take inventory on who we are. And uh, Lord, I pray that where changes need to be made, that we would all be willing to make them. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So tonight we begin an important series for our church. You see, we're going on a journey back in time to examine the early churches of the New Testament. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of these different assemblies in the Word of God. Each church was a different city with different cultures, and and we can learn much from studying these churches. Uh, What to do and what not to do. What to focus on and what not to focus on. Now, by way of introduction regarding the church, I want to remind us that it was Jesus himself who instituted the church, who began the church. Way back in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13, it says, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Well, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some, Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or of one of the prophets. And then he asked this very famous question, but whom say ye that I am? And really, that is the question for all of us as well, right? doesn't matter what everybody else thinks about the Lord. Who do you think I am? Well, Simon Peter answered and gave this very famous answer, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which was the correct answer, by the way. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it was there that Jesus instituted the church. It was Jesus also who gave himself for the church. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God. He's speaking to pastors now. And he said, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So he gave his blood for the church. He gave himself for the church. According to Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And one day, Jesus is coming back for the church. I'm looking forward to that. And we heard a couple references from these young ones, from John chapter 14, verse number 3, that he is going to come and receive us unto himself. I'm looking forward to that day. So the church is important to Christ. And it obviously ought to be important to us as well. Now, unfortunately, we live in a day where every type of church exists, right? You, you see these buildings all around this community with the word church attached to it, and you wonder, is it really what Jesus had in mind way back in Matthew chapter number 16? Hmm. Uh, we see 
churches, uh, my wife mentioned, and, and, and if you know people who go here, I, you know, we're, we're not trying to be uber critical here tonight, but, but there's, a, there's a church that has a, a, a slogan that says, the flock that rocks. And, and it's, you know, you wonder, is this what Jesus had in mind? You know, why do we do what we do here at Cornerstone Baptist Church? Are, are the decisions and, and the stands that we have, are they based on preference? Are they based on culture? Like what's popular? What is the church down the street doing? Therefore, we need to do it too. The keep up with the Joneses mentality, unfortunately, uh, enters the local church as well. Not just into families. Because we want to see what the big church down the street is doing so that we can be a big church too. Why do we do what we do? Are they based on tradition? Well, we have always done it that way. That's why we do what we do here at Cornerstone Baptist Church or here at whatever church. Or are they based on biblical reasons? Or are they based on what unsaved Sam wants in a church? If you're not familiar with that, we we spent uh, the bulk of our ministry thus far in our lives in California in the backyard of Saddleback Church. And there they they had this business mentality where you get this uh, persona of a person that you're trying to reach and trying to figure out what he would want in a church. My friend, is this church, is, is church meant to be for the unsaved? Yes and no. Yes, it, I want this to be, I want Cornerstone Baptist Church to be a place where an unsaved person can feel loved and welcomed and valued. But I don't necessarily want them to always feel comfortable in their sin, in their condition as sinners. You see, I don't want to want to survey all the unsaved crowd and say, what do you want in a church? And then cater our church to meet their needs. Because this church isn't for him. This church is for him. It's his church. He's the audience. So I thought during this series, it would be helpful for us tonight and and throughout this series to, to go back to how it all began. You know, the, there's, a, there's a principle in hermeneutics, which is Bible interpretation and, and study, called the principle of first mention. And, and typically in the Bible, when, something, when a concept is mentioned at the very beginning, that's the really intent that, that we need to gather from it, the intent of, of that first mention. And so as we look at this very first church tonight in the book of Acts, uh, we see some attributes and some characteristics that uh, we would be wise to adopt here at Cornerstone Baptist Church as well. I do believe this series is going to be helpful to kind of help us understand who we are as a church. And again, it's not any one person, it's not even me. On what our church, it, it's not up to me and it's not up to you. It's up to the Lord to determine what kind of church this is. So there are 10 priorities or more uh, listed here in this passage of Scripture that we just read, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. Um, I'm not going to take the time to go through all 10 of them tonight, 
Um, so we'll, we'll cover the first three tonight, and then next week we'll, we'll catch a few more, and then uh, hopefully we'll get this in like three messages, I hope. Um, but I think that this, this particular snapshot of this church is so important for us to focus on because this is back to the basics. This is back to what a church ought to be. It, should it be flashing lights and uh, amazing promotions and, and wonderful Facebook ads? Not that any of those are necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but what should a church really have and make sure that, that the basics of a church? Well, it's listed here in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So what are they tonight? Let's, let's, look, at these, let's look at these first three. First of all, I want you to see um, there was a receptive heart to the Word of God. There was a receptive heart to the Word of God. In verse number 41, the Bible says this, Then they that... What's the next word? Gladly received his word, were baptized. Now, I realize that his word is a reference to the message that Peter just preached. But the message that he just preached is recorded in the word of God. So you could say that they were very receptive to the word of God, to the preaching of God's word. And it wasn't just that they received it. But as I asked for that word, they gladly received the word. So they had a receptive heart to the word of God. They wanted to hear what the word of God said, and they were wanting to hear it. Now, a lot of Christians look at the word of God like they do a buffet line. They take what they like and leave what they don't. Look, the Bible is not a smorgasbord to pick and choose what you like. The Bible is the Word of God, and all of it needs to be received. Paul declared to the Ephesian elders, he said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, the things that you like to hear and the things that you don't like to hear. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. Now, as a pastor, I have been given a calling to preach the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says, and here Paul is telling young Timothy, he said, I, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. You see, I need to preach the word here at Cornerstone Baptist Church when it's popular. When it's popular outside these walls, when it's popular inside these walls, and when it's not popular outside of the walls, and when it's not popular inside the walls. And i got to tell you, it's not easy to preach when it's not in season. <laughs> uh, Brother, Brother Ed, you probably know what I'm talking about. There's been times when everybody came up to you and appreciated what you had to say. There was other times when it was crickets or these locust things that are here. <laughs> um, and that's going to happen. I get that. And, and I'm thankful that Paul said that because those, those seasons ebb and flow just like winter comes and goes and spring comes and goes, summer comes and goes. There's going to be times where people are going to say, Pastor, that was a great message that spoke to my heart. Other times it's going to be, I'm going to go out the other door than where the pastor is because I don't want to see his face anymore. I understand that those days are going to happen. 
I am making a commitment publicly this evening that I will faithfully preach the Word of God. There are times when it's fun to preach and I get pumped about the message and I can't wait to declare it. I can't wait to get up and preach. And there's times when it's like, please, Lord, can I preach something totally different? Because this is the opposite of what I want to preach tonight. But if it's in his word, I need to be faithful to him. And so I'm making a commitment to you and more importantly to God to faithfully preach the word of God. Paul goes on in that passage to say, for the time will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. I saw a little comic that uh, came across my, my eyes uh, this week, and I'm going to throw it on the screen here. It's a little hard to see, especially if you're in the back there. But there's one church on the left here that they have a sermon series, and it's what God has said. There's another, there's another church across the way that they have a sermon series too, and it says, what you would rather hear. And you can tell there's a lot of truth to that, though, in our culture. Because we want to go to the Joel Osteen type of churches because I want to be my better version of me. Your best life now, instead of, thus saith the Lord. Uh, to go to a church that still uses old-fashioned words like sin and hell? No thanks. I want to go to a church that tickles my ears. And so no wonder they have these huge stadiums filled up to the brim with people because they have these itching ears. And so they're seeking these teachers which scratch their ears. And the church here in this first church, I thought about naming this First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, but I don't know if they actually had that name, so we'll just, uh, the First Church is the name of the, ti- the title of the message, but um, the problem with many so-called churches is not really what's being preached, it's what's not being preached in a lot of churches, right? You go to a service at most churches and you're like, yeah, there's really nothing wrong with what I heard. But you go a year, two years, and you're like, hey, you know, I've never heard anything about this topic or about this topic. They seem to be avoiding that topic. Uh, Many churches are no longer preaching on topics like sin, hell, or judgment. These have gone the way of the old, stale tapioca pudding on the buffet line. As a result, we just kind of skip over them, and we say, no thanks, that's not real really appetizing to me anymore, I'm going to skip it. You know, if we're not careful, those of us who've been saved for a while can also develop a spiritual sweet tooth as well. We like the exciting stories of the Bible. We like to hear about the tribulation period. We like to hear about, you know, all those fun stories in the book of Judges. We just read as a family when Jael took that, that, that tent spike and, and killed Sisera. How wonderful of a story that was to have at our family devotion. Family Bible time. The boys were all into it, and Faith is like, what did she, what, what did she do? Huh? Ah. We like to hear those exciting stories, right? But what about things like judgment? Not so fun. But God help us to have a receptivity to the Word of God, 
the things that we like to hear and the things that we don't like to hear, may we also gladly receive the word of God here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. James 1, 21 says this, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. God wants us to receive with meekness the engrafted word. Are you receiving the word of God gladly? Well, sure, as long as it's about someone else. As long as it's about someone else's sin, then I'll gladly receive the word. What about when it hits you right between the heart? Right between the numbers, to give a football reference on the Super Bowl Sunday. When the word of God is boom, right to you. Do you catch the ball? Or do you fumble it and say, you know what? Uh... No, that was, that was too hard of a pass. These early Christians there in this first church, they had a receptive heart to the Word of God. And I would hope that we here at Cornerstone Baptist Church have a receptive heart to the Word of God that if, if God's Word says it, I want to receive it. Now, we're talking to the church family, yes, but the church is made up of individuals. And if this is going to work as a church family, it's, going to work as, it's only going to work if we as individuals receive the word of God gladly. So I know you might be thinking, yeah, preacher, let him have it. Oh, I'm preaching to you, and I'm preaching to me. Am I willing to receive the word of God with meekness, gladly, having a receptive heart to the Word of God. That was characteristic number one, a receptive heart to the Word of God. And Lord, help us here at Cornerstone to have that attribute in us, that we would gladly receive the Word of God when it's preached. Whether we like it, whether we don't, we're going to gladly receive it. Secondly, a willingness to obey God. They had a willingness to obey God. Look again in verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his word, next two words, were baptized. So after they accepted Christ as their Savior, after they believed on him for salvation and gladly received the word, they were immediately baptized. It didn't take a long process for them to decide to obey God. It was an immediate response. It was a natural reflex for them to say, Lord, what's the next step? I'll do it. You know, the next steps for these new believers was baptism, to publicly identify, publicly identify with Jesus Christ in water baptism. Now, can I just say this? This wasn't a decision like it would be for most Americans in 2019. You see, getting baptized was a radical, life-altering decision that would impact their relationship with their family and would potentially cost them their job, their career. To publicly identify with Jesus Christ in water baptism. This was a big deal. And much more on, on the line than today. And yet, despite all that, they did it and they obeyed. You see, in the early church, there was a natural desire to obey what God said. You didn't have to twist people's arms. It wasn't like you had to, you know, 
promise all this stuff, if they would just simply obey, it was just, hey, what does God want? I want to do it. What about you? Are there things in your life that God wants, God wants you to obey? Keep your uh, finger here or put a marker in Acts chapter 2 and uh, flip with me over to 1 Samuel 15. We were over in 1 Samuel this morning, but we're going to go back over there again to chapter 15. Oh, I'm creeping up on 6 o'clock. Okay. I'm going to hurry. 1 Samuel 15, verse number 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. And now listen to really God's instruction. God gives some orders to King Saul. Here in verse number 3, it's very clear. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man, woman, infant, and suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. So all of these things he's supposed to utterly destroy. Very clear instructions. It wasn't like, okay, what did you really mean? (laughs) I really meant what I said. Well, verse number four, here's what Saul decided to do. Saul gathered the people together, numbered them uh, there and 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to a city of Amalek, laid in wait in the valley. And then he goes on down, verse number six. Uh, let's go ahead and verse, jump down to verse seven for sake of time. Saul smote the Amalekites from uh, that place until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. Clearly against what God had given orders to do. It goes and says, but everything that was vile and refuge, well, then that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, Oh, I made a mistake, and, and the Lord doesn't make mistakes. But he said, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. When it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. It was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up in a place, gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul. Said, and, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Oh, really? You are bragging about how well you obeyed God? Huh. And verse 14 is a very interesting verse, isn't it? Samuel said, Interesting you say that. He said, What meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? He said, you've obeyed the voice of the Lord, really? You you hear that? You hear the sheep over there and the cattle? Huh. Because I clearly remember the word of the Lord saying, you are to utterly destroy everything. And obviously you've kept the best for yourself. 
Well, Saul has a great justification, doesn't he? Verses, verse 15, Saul said, They have brought them up from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Oh, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. He said, well, we obeyed mostly. But the reason we didn't is because we wanted to honor the Lord. And then verse 16. Samuel said to Saul, stay and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said, say on. Verse 17, Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own, eye, in, in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? The Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And I have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalekite, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So he's still not realizing that he is disobedient. He said, but the people took of the spoil, sheep, oxen, chief of things, which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Saul mostly obeyed God. Are you content to mostly obey God? And he failed to fully obey the Lord and he lost his throne because of it. Can I ask you this question? What blessings are you forgoing or losing because you're not willing to submit to him? Can I remind us this evening, Cornerstone Baptist Church, that blessing follows obedience. When you obey, God blesses. When you don't, God can't bless as much as He wants to. So in what areas is God asking you to obey Him in? Does God want you to be saved? Oh, you're missing the greatest blessing of all, knowing your sins are forgiven and that you have a home in heaven if you never come to Christ. So the first area that God wants us to obey Him in is believe on Him for salvation. Come to Him and be saved. Or maybe you've been saved and not yet baptized. Maybe God's been working in your heart and saying, you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I would just say this. After the service tonight, feel free to come to me and let me know that you would like to get baptized. We'll schedule a time for you to follow the Lord in baptism uh, at one of our future services here. Uh, maybe it's something that you're holding on to that God's saying you need to surrender. Maybe you've been holding on to something that you know is wrong and you've not been willing to let it go. Sur surrender whatever that is today. It could be that God wants you to serve Him in some special way. So please don't wait. Obey Him today and get involved. Let me know. We'll get you plugged into a ministry. Do you, do you remember what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, help us to have a heart here at 
Cornerstone Baptist Church that also says, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I want to be obedient to you, not mostly. Not like Saul who does most of it. Help us to do all of it. Peter Forsyth was right when he said, the first duty of every soul is to not find its freedom, but its master. You're going to obey someone, it might as well be the Lord. At our house, we have a saying when it comes to obedience. Obedience is three things. You obey right away, the first time, with a, with a what? Good attitude. Okay, they don't know it. I, we, we need to work on this a little better. Right away, the first time, and with a good attitude. And if one of those is missing, it's disobedience. Now, instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is, in fact, disobedience. So if God is impressing upon your heart something that you need to obey Him in, to wait another week, to wait another year, is really disobedience. So let's have a heart that says, I am willing to obey you just like the church did, just like the first church did of Jerusalem. When they got saved, it was like, what's next? Baptism? Amen. Yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your way. I've read that when Edward VI, the king of England in the 16th century, attended a worship service, he stood while the word of God was read. He took notes during this time and later studied them with great care. Through the week, he earnestly tried to apply them to his life. That's the kind of serious-minded response to truth the Apostle James calls for in, today's, in, in the Scripture. A single revealed fact cherished in the heart and acted upon is more vital to our growth than a head filled with lofty ideas about God. One step forward in obedience is worth years of study about it. Yes, in the morning services, we're going to be studying about God and who He is and His attributes. But it's not just to be tucked away and, have, and just be... Chalked up as just mere knowledge. The idea is that it would be used in our life in, a, in action. Let's move on to the last thought here, the last characteristic of this early church that we're going to mention tonight, and that is a commitment to doctrine. They had a commitment to doctrine. In verse number 42, in Acts chapter 2, back in our text, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in this. This was something they were committed to. They wanted to learn. They wanted to grow in this. And they were steadfast in it. They were faithful. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 says then, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. You know, it's important for all of us, but especially our children, to grow up here at Cornerstone Baptist Church to know what we believe, but also why we believe it. And that's what doctrine is all about. And that's why one of the reasons I'm excited about this new curriculum we, we just received, and, and I'm thankful for the other curriculum we use as well. But this is doctrinal truth that we're instilling into our children to know what we believe and why we believe it. So that when they graduate, they're not going to be tossed to and fro. They're not going to be just like the, the dandelion thing that you go, 
And all those things just kind of fly wherever the wind takes it. I don't want that to be our kids. I want them to be firmly planted in the Word of God. And whether they end up here or somewhere else, that they would stand true to the Word of God. A.W. Tozer said this, We have gotten accustomed to the blurred puffs of gray fog that pass for doctrine in churches and expect nothing better. From some previously unimpeachable sources are now coming vague statements consisting of a milky admixture of Scripture, science, and human sentiment that is true to none of its ingredients because each one works to cancel the others out. Little by little, Christians these days are being brainwashed. One evidence is that increasing numbers of them are becoming ashamed to be found unequivocally on the side of truth. They say they believe, but their beliefs have been so diluted as to be impossible of clear definition. Moral power has always accompanied definite beliefs. Great saints have always been dogmatic. We need a return to a gentle dogmaticism that smiles when it stands stubborn and firm on the word of God that lives and abides forever. That's good preaching there, Brother Tozer. Titus chapter, one, verse, chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Paul is telling Titus to do as he's trying to appoint pastors in the different cities there on the island of Crete. And he says, I want you to tell them to teach sound doctrine. And that's one of the things as a pastor that I need to express to you. I'm supposed to preach the word. And then it says, with all long suffering and doctrine. 1 Timothy 3.15, but if I... Tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. We mentioned this verse this morning, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. If they can't, if your children can't get doctrine here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, where can they get? Now they should be getting it home. Mom and dad, that's your responsibility. That's our responsibility to impart to them the truth of God's word. It's not just the church's responsibility. It's yours as a parent. But it's also our church's responsibility to make sure that this is a, the pillar and ground of truth for your children. So we've looked at the first three this evening. A willingness, uh, I'm sorry, a receptive heart to the word of God, a willingness to obey God, and a commitment to doctrine. So, so far, how are we doing? How are we doing, Cornerstone Baptist Church? Do we have a receptive heart to the word of God? Are we willing to obey God? Do we, uh, are we committed to doctrine? But better yet, and more personally, let me ask this question. Do you have a receptive heart to the word of God? Or do you kind of buck and kind of say, preacher, don't go there in your heart. And say, look, talk about something different. This is not a topic I want you to talk about. Are you willing to obey God? You say, well, yeah, I, I obey Him mostly. And I give. Congratulations, Saul. I'm telling you, you're missing out on some blessings because you're not willing to obey God all the way. And are you committed to doctrine? Or do you think, this isn't that important. I really want the feel-good, touchy-feely, how-to-have-a-better-life-now type of a message. Now, occasionally we'll go there, but for the most part, we want to stay true to the Word of God. So how are we doing so far? Um, as far as I know, we're doing good. 
because I know you. But if you know in your own heart that there are some areas of improvement, I hope that you'll take the time tonight to make a decision to make some changes, to line up with the first church so that we as a, as a body of believers, we go forward this year and in future ministry that we will be in a place where God can bless us. We'll mention this as we get to the end of this little passage of Scripture here, but verse 47 says this, at the end of that verse says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, I really believe that one of the reasons the Lord did this is because of the characteristics of this early church. Now, this church wasn't perfect. We're going to discover that as we continue on. Just a couple chapters later, we find some imperfections, some pretty stark examples of it. And so God's not expecting us to be perfect, but God is expecting us to have these qualities, not only in our church, but in our individual lives. And I hope that you'll do what it takes to implement these into your own life so that these can be evident in our church. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to discuss the first church tonight. And I'm looking forward to covering the other attributes of this first church.